Welcome to the Drop the Mic podcast, where we'll dive into conversations with some of the music industry's most established professionals. I'm Jay LaBeouf, and I lead Stanford University's Music Industry Initiatives. Whether you're aspiring to launch your career in the music industry, are already a music industry pro, or just curious to learn more, we've got you covered. Like all of our episodes, what you will hear today has been created and curated by Stanford students who are breaking their way into the music scene. Today's episode features two of country music's best songwriters, diving into how they write songs, the importance of songwriting in launching a music career, networking with others in the industry, and the sheer grit required to start a career in Nashville. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get into the conversation. Hi, my name is Braden, and I decided to focus on the country music industry for this episode of the podcast. Country music is an extremely vast and diverse realm of music built upon unique instrumentation and relatable storytelling in the lyrics. I had the opportunity to have conversations with two of country music's best songwriters, Haley Witters and Angelina Presley who are also artists that are greatly responsible for my own passion for country music. Haley, a country singer and songwriter, is upholding the traditions of country music today with songs like Heartland, which is about finding peace in the midst of life's craziness by remembering your roots. Take it down. Haley, as well as many country artists, have widely applicable messages in their songs meant for any listener, regardless of where you live and where you're from. Take, for instance, Haley's song The Days, which reminds listeners to appreciate life one day at a time. Another Haley has had a songwriting career writing with and for multiple Grammy winners, including Little Big Town, Alan Jackson, Lori McKenna, and Brandi Clark, and she's likely Grammy-bound for her own music in the future. Her new album titled The Dream was released earlier in 2020 and has already been named one of the best albums of the year by Rolling Stone, Billboard, American Songwriter, and The Washington Post. And then we have Angelina, who grew up in Kentucky and achieved massive critical success with her 2017 solo album, Wrangled, which she describes as an explicitly forthright journey through her experience in the business of country music. She tried to tackle uncomfortable realities like the discrimination against female artists at the height of bro country, the high school mentality of music row, and the pain that's just beneath the surface on the road to stardom. The album was ranked number 10 on Rolling Stone's Best Country Albums of 2017 list. Angelina's songwriting can be fierce and fiery, like on a song off Wrangled called Mama I Tried, which is about Angelina trying her best to make it in an industry where she found little support. On other songs, such as Knocked Up, Angelina is a great storyteller, expertly blending personal events with pieces of stereotypical Southern family traditions. In addition, Angelina is a member of country supergroup The Pistol Annies, with Miranda Lambert and Ashley Monroe. Angelina and her bandmates were nominated for a Grammy in 2020 for the group's album, Interstate Gospel. Jesus is a bread of life, without him you're toast. Hallelujah, y'all, I found the Holy Ghost. To be almost saved, only means that you're lost. Sins are expensive. These interviews were done in May 2020 in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic so you might hear some changes in sound quality as we all battled Zoom during the interviews. But most importantly, sit back and enjoy as I talk to two of the most talented songwriters and artists within country music about the hardships of starting a career in Nashville, their songwriting processes, and how the country music industry itself is changing and evolving. The heart of the country music industry is in Nashville, Tennessee, and a lot of people who decide they want to be an artist move to Nashville to try and make it big. So, with all the music business going on, Nashville is known as the 10-year town, as it typically takes artists about 10 years to break. 
Haley, as an artist, experienced that struggle of trying to make it big and documented her experience in a song called Ten Year Town, which was co-written with six-time Grammy nominee Brandi Clark. The song was ranked number two on Rolling Stone's Best Country in Americana Songs of 2019 list. The opening lines of the song capture the struggles, doubts, and challenges Haley went through trying to start a career in Nashville. I'm 12 years into a 10-year town I'm too far in to turn around Too old to go back to school Won't be much longer, I'll be old news I asked Haley to tell me what she was up to during her first 12 years in Nashville, starting with when she moved to town. So I moved to Nashville right after high school, and I didn't know a soul in town. It was just kind of shocking to my entire family that I had this, you know, drive to pursue country music. But I moved down here not knowing anyone and just started cold calling, knocking on doors, showing up at bars, asking if I could have a gig. Very much ignorance is bliss kind of mentality. I just really didn't know any better. (laughs) That That's not necessarily how it works in this town, but I just started playing shows, as many shows as I could. Realized very quickly Nashville is very much like a co-writing town, a songwriting town, and I knew that that would help me expand. So, yeah, I just started going around and cold calling for gigs basically and then after I think it was probably five or six years of being in town I signed a publishing deal with Carnival Music and then I was a staff songwriter and I had you know a few really cool cuts and nothing really that was you know able to keep me paying my bills so I went back to waiting tables and you know, started waiting tables, and that's how I funded this record that I made, and so 10 Year Town is very autobiographical in that sense. It's very much my story of having a day job while continuing to chase the dream, and luckily it's starting to see a lot of success, and it's allowed me to quit waiting tables and to go on the road full-time, so I mean, it's definitely been, you know, just a roller coaster a lot of ups and downs and trying to make ends meet and it's not been it's not been an overnight success if you will those 12 years in nashville definitely provided a lot of ups and downs but what is most important is what Haley said she learned during those 12 years i think perseverance for sure because there was definitely moments real specifically i probably about two years ago was when I kind of hit my breaking point and I was like you know what this might not be for me maybe it's time to throw in the towel and I didn't and I just you know pushed it one step further and that's been kind of the result of all of this record and everything it really changed my whole life so I think just you know perseverance and continuing to to chase it and to work and roll up your sleeves and not get distracted by what everyone else is doing in town and what the trends are at radio or, you know, uh, really just focus on what you're doing and try and do it well. I think if you do that, you know, and you do it long enough, there's going to be a point where people are going to start paying attention. Country music is heavily based on songwriting. So next, I wanted to find out how Haley's songwriting played a role in her pursuit of a music career when she first moved to Nashville. So I moved here, I think, to primarily be an artist. I've always been a writer. I've always been, you know, a songwriter. I think I realized early on moving here that songwriting was going to be my vehicle towards getting noticed as an artist. So I made a real conscious effort to be doing both all the time. Those years of waitressing and doing anything she could to be heard certainly paid off for Haley, as last year she got to debut on the Grand Ole Opry, the longest-running radio broadcast in U.S. history that traces its roots back to the very beginning of country music. The Opry is often considered the home stage of country music, and artists must be invited to perform on stage, so it's a huge honor. Here's what Haley had to say about her Opry debut. It was incredible. I mean, you know, the Grand Ole Opry was one of the first places I visited when I came to Nashville for the first time. And I would say that being at the Opry for the first time when I was 15 years old was kind of the the match that 
started the fire and I, you know, I, I remember also not long ago sitting in the balcony seats and wondering if I was ever going to get to do that or if it was just a pipe dream or, you know, realizing I still really wanted to get to perform on that stage. And so, you know, not even a year later to get to stand in that circle and perform, it just was this really surreal feeling of, you know, you, you have these dreams when you're young before you even really know what they mean and you don't know if they're ever going to be realized. And I don't know, it's just a really validating and surreal moment to, to be able to stand there and go back and tell, you know, 15-year-old Haley, you did it. While no two artists are going to have the same exact experience of moving to Nashville and starting a music career, Angelina's experience was certainly similar to Haley's and demonstrates the importance of songwriting and the initial networking hopeful musicians do to get their foot in the door. Being from the town where I'm from, there's not really a lot of options if you don't have an education. So I I was kind of pushed toward university. So I went to college. And the minute that I graduated, I was like, Mom, here's your degree, and I'm moving to Nashville. When I got there, I didn't know anything, really. I didn't know anyone. or I had no idea. All I knew was I had a guitar, and I had a couple of songs that I had written. I started by getting a newspaper, uh, the Nashville scene, which has been very kind to me and written lots of good things about me, so kudos to them. Anyway... And I figured out there were writer's nights, which is kind of like what the experience I had at the Bluebird. But there were, one, there were all over town, and you could, you could just go, and anybody could show up. It was like open mic. So you go, and you sign in, and then you get up there, and you play your songs with like four other writers. So I started going to those, and really quickly, I noticed that I stuck out like a sore thumb. I mean... It was so obvious that my songs were, I don't even know the right word, (laughs) different and more personal. I don't know, just, I don't know. I, I was different. So I got noticed pretty quickly and I signed my first publishing deal nine months after I moved to town. And so I've been a songwriter ever since. Just as Haley expressed her frustrations of trying to make it big in her song, Ten Year Town, Angelina also has a song with a similar topic called Dreams Don't Come True. The lyrics hit like a gut punch of realizing a dream might not be attainable. I asked Angelina to talk about the brutally honest and heartbreaking song as it directly recounts her expectations of what her career would look like and how everything ended up happening in reality. One of my favorite movies is Coal Miner's Daughter. I mean, obviously, why I'm a Coal Miner's Daughter. But anyway, I just, I love movies about artists, kind of like their coming of age story. And before you actually move to Nashville or start a band and go on the road I mean you have this sort of idealized version of what it's going to be like and for me mine was the total movie I'm going to get there somebody in a gold suit is going (laughs) to see me and within a week they're going to be giving me the keys to a Cadillac and you know this 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 and this and then you get there and it's so a much different <laughs> you, you realize oh this doesn't happen overnight this takes painstaking hard mind-numbing work and you have to like you get told no over and over and over and you have to just keep going back and going back and going back and writing another song and just no no there's so much rejection in this business I mean you really have to have confidence in yourself and you have to have a thick skin so really dreams don't come true it's really expectations don't come true because the expectation is so much different than the reality and if somebody had told me before I ever moved here what even remotely what it was really going to be like I think I would have still done it, but I think I maybe would have made a couple of different choices. 
than I did. While Haley moved to Nashville to primarily pursue a career as an artist and use songwriting to make that happen, Angelina's story shows a different approach, one with songwriting as the primary motive for moving to Nashville. Angelina told me about the moment she realized how powerful and magical songwriting can be while on a trip to the historic Bluebird Cafe in Nashville, which is internationally known for featuring the songwriters behind the biggest country hits of all time and being the place where legendary acts like Garth Brooks and Taylor Swift were discovered. When I was 18, my cousin Mandy and I took, well actually I think I was 17. It was the summer after I had graduated from high school. We decided to take a trip away from our parents for the first time. And we decided to go to Nashville because we loved country music and we had never been there. And just, it was kind of, it's, it's a short enough distance from our house where we felt, you know, this is a good first trip. So we went there and we went to the Bluebird Cafe. And up to that point, I didn't realize that songwriting was a separate entity. I had always thought, okay, if whoever, if Reba is singing this song, then Reba wrote this song and this is about Reba's life. So then when we went to the Bluebird, I was a big Trisha Yearwood fan at the time. And I don't remember, know if you know the song, She's in Love with the Boy. Um, yeah. The guy who wrote that song was at the Bluebird that night. And he started telling the story behind the song and he was like, and then my friends Katie and Tommy are here. I want them to stand up. And so like the people in the song were actually in the Bluebird and it just blew my mind. That was the moment where I was like, wait a minute, you can write songs for a living because I wasn't ever the greatest singer, but I felt like I was a decent writer. So that was the point when I decided that's what I wanted to do. I wasn't the writer who got a bunch of cuts and number one hits and all of that. I was sort of like this writer on the fringe who was writing these really different, personal, honest, raw songs and had nowhere to, nowhere for them to go. Because my goal was always to be a songwriter. I really, I've never aspired to be an artist. I have really severe performance anxiety. And I've never really had that much confidence in myself as a performer. So my goal was always to write, but just all the women disappeared. <laughs> you, know, you know, a dude's not gonna cut one of my songs. So as much as it hurt, me in a way it also inspired me to and to continue on the path that I was on and not even give one little inch into the commercialism and the just male dominated thing that was going on which is still going on to this day. The careers of Haley and Angelina are examples of the sheer grit it takes to make it in the industry. And even more importantly, both artists were able to make careers without compromising who they were and who they wanted to be. I wondered just how often this is the case with stars in Nashville. So I asked Angelina the brutally honest question, is it possible for someone to launch a career without those years and years of hard work? It's not possible. I mean, unless it's some fluke, you know. Yeah. I think with the bro country movement, there were maybe a few dudes who were like, oh, he looks like this. He's the, it it was like there was this product that they were just spinning over and over and over again. And if you fit in that mold, then maybe it was some type of idealistic overnight experience, but not for girls, certainly not for girls. So yeah, it's, I don't think it's possible to make it through it without just not giving a crap (laughs) keep keep on keeping on next i wanted to take a deep dive into Haley and angelina's songwriting process beginning with how the process all starts some songwriters will sit down with a list of already brainstormed ideas while others might sit down and see what comes to them in the moment for Haley, it's a combination of both i feel like just with how consistent i'm writing you know i kind of do all of those things like there's I try and sit down to write at least every day, uh, even if it's, you know, just a line or maybe it's even just sitting down thinking 
thinking about ideas. I try and get in that headspace at least every day. But some days, you know, it's just like starting from nothing and kind of just hoping to find something that resonates. Or, you know, other days there's an idea that's driving and I get ideas everywhere. You know, I, I get ideas cleaning my house a lot. I get ideas when I'm exercising. I get ideas if I'm driving in the car. Uh, and I usually always jotting those down so that when I do sit down to actually write, you know, I can, I can have something to, you know, run with and chase. And I feel like the idea is the most important part. I find that if it's a great idea, it's usually pretty, the song kind of writes itself. I think it's a lot harder if the idea isn't as bulletproof it gets kind of hard trying to form a song around it but I, I really do all of it you know I, I sit some days I sit in my music room with my guitar and just start strumming something and you know waiting on the words to come or some days I actually sit down with the intention of writing an idea that had just came to me you know kind of out of thin air so I, I really do both for Angelina, organization is key when it comes to keeping track of ideas for lyrics and melodies, and modern technology has seemingly revolutionized the ways in which songwriters are able to store and keep track of certain phrases and melodies. I have a list of ideas in my phone constantly that is just like a running. I'm a big concrete detail type person, so I, a lot of my ideas come from just life, just living. I mean, albeit, you know, getting my kid a cheeseburger from McDonald's and the person who's working there will say something that I'm like, oh, wow, that'd be a good line for a song. So I always have that. I always have that and I always write them down in my phone. And then I also use my voice memo thing too if I, if I come up with a melody. And melodies just come literally when I least expect it. I have no idea when I'm going to get one. They just I just start humming and I'm like, oh, here's a melody. So I'll record it, which iPhones have really revolutionized that part of it because I used to have to carry a notebook and a pencil and a little um, voice recorder with me. And I don't know what they did in the days before voice recorders because if you don't, if, I mean, for me, and I know a lot of other people are the same way, if you don't get that stuff down right when it comes, it, it leaves and it's gone forever. They're like these little lightning strikes that you have to catch. When thinking about how a song is written, many will wonder where the inspiration for the song came from, but I was also interested to see where songs get written. Angelina gave some insight into what places she finds herself writing songs, and her answer is truly a testament to the flexibility many songwriters develop, as well as the value in designating a specific place for songwriting. I have, well, I had a writing room in my house for years and years that I would work in and then when I, I just had my baby I had a little 16 month old baby so my writing room had to be sacrificed to the nursery now I have I have a whole other room in our house that I use for my closets I have so many like show clothes and wardrobe just clothes and boots out the wazoo so I have I call it my clothes like my office slash closet and I've actually been writing in here and I'm getting really good ideas in here because there's no distractions there's because it's like there's no windows in here or anything so but you have to just learn to do it anywhere sometimes when earlier in my career when I had publishing deals I would have to you know co-write with people and we would meet in these sterile little rooms on Music Row but some of the best songs I ever wrote came from writing in those little sterile rooms. So some of the worst songs I ever wrote came from that too. But yeah, you just have to you just have to learn to do it kind of because songwriting is such a for me. I, now I'm not the kind of writer who's like a machine. Some of the dudes and some of the I mean even some women that I know will go to Music Row and write have two or three writing appointments a day, which for me. I would die first. <laughs> I just don't make that much. It to, to them, it's I think it's more of a craft, and to me, it's more of an art. And there's a big difference. 
There's an old saying that country music is all about three chords and the truth. I asked Haley what the most important thing to her is when writing a song, and her response really echoed the importance of realness, vulnerability, and honesty found in country music. I think the most important thing, telling it honestly in the most authentic way possible, really trying to stay out of the way of the truth and just keep it as real as possible, as simple as possible. I find that, for me anyways, sometimes it's the most simple songs that um, that just resonate the deepest, and so I try and do that, I, I, I try and draw from, you know, my own personal experiences, I think that helps in keeping it authentic, and, and yeah, just trying to write a great song is really the most important thing, I try and do what's right for the lyric. Similarly to Haley, Angelina felt the most important thing to consider when writing a song was simplicity, as well as a personal touch of ensuring correct grammar usage. Well, I'm a fierce editor. One of my pet peeves is like incorrect grammar, incorrect tenses like present and past tense. I can't stand it when <laughs> mixing of tenses. So, which that's the college I have an English. I was. A minor in English so that's probably the educated part of me but I think that that forces me to try harder maybe like because it's easy to write a line in a song but it's really hard to go back and say now how can I make that better what words can I take out like Tom T. Hall said the less words you use the better if you can go back in your song and take out 10 words do it and Guy Clark said the same thing. He was like, you know, if you, you can, he never finished writing a song. I mean, he, he literally, I would write with him and we would work on the same song for months. <laughs> and he, wow. it, it's like it would never be done. But because he just always felt like he could get, you know, get it a little bit better. And then I just try to be real, try to be detailed concise and just when I do the words that I do use I try to make them pack a punch and every line make you feel something the songs that end up on a record have usually gone through many drafts and lyrics and melodies are often changed and fine-tuned along the way so I wondered how Haley knows when a song is done and doesn't need any more tweaking you know Luckily, I have kind of a, you know, my publishers, I have a soundboard that I can kind of bounce it off them, and if they say it's done, I usually just trust it in my gut when something's done or when it's not, and sometimes I, like, keep grinding on songs that don't need to be messed with, so, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of that fine balance of, you know, I play it for my trusted inner circle and see what their thoughts are uh, before I really go tweaking too much. But I don't know. I mean, I'm working on a song right now that I wrote. I started in 2017, and I'm still just grinding on it. And I'm so ready for it to be done. And at this point, I can't tell if I'm just overthinking it or uh, if it still needs more work. So honestly, it's kind of be, you know, a long process, but I just try and bounce it off of my inner circle of creatives that I trust, and if they think it's done, then I usually kind of just, you know, call it. For Angelina, knowing a song is done can completely depend on the song itself. Sometimes they spill out in a matter of minutes, while other times she can spend years working on a song. I mean, sometimes a song will spill out in 17 minutes, and you know that it has come from the higher place, and you don't really have a lot to do with it. Harlan Howard said, God wrote the songs, I held the pen. Some are like that. Others are like a song like, I don't know if you've listened to my first record, but a song like Pain Pills. Oh yeah, absolutely. So that song took me three, maybe four years to finish. Wow. And it, it started when I had to go to a funeral 
of a friend of mine from high school who had died from an overdose. And I wrote, I think, a verse. And then I went to another funeral and I wrote another verse. And then it was just over the course of these years of the, you know, opioid epidemic just getting worse and worse. And then finally it was finished. So it really just depends. If you're writing with a group of people, like when Annie's write together, I mean, it's done when we all think it's done. It's easier when you have other people there because then you have like a sounding board. And then sometimes you get in the studio and you think the song is done and then you get in the studio and some genius, you know, lap steel player comes up with a part that inspires you to need a verse for a bridge. Ailey is clearly an accomplished songwriter, and a song she co-wrote with Grammy winner Lori McKenna called Happy People ended up getting recorded by three-time Grammy-winning band Little Big Town. The song was actually released as a single to country radio. Here's Haley's version of the song. In addition, Haley's own songs off her new album, The Dream, All the Cool Girls. And Janice at the hotel bar. Are blowing up as well. So I wanted to know if there was any kind of feeling Haley had when writing a song that it was going to become a big hit. No, I mean, I think that you might relatively know what is working on radio or something. And if something feels like that, then you might presume that it could be a hit but honestly I think it's just to me it's always been shocking the songs that seem to get the most response are the ones that I couldn't think would get much response at all there's really no gauge and it's you know in the in the writing you know as far as the writing goes I, I think that that's why it's especially important that you know you can't negate what is or isn't worthy of being written because you just never know you never know, and any idea can be worthy of a song and can resonate with someone. I mean, I have no, I was so surprised when I got the call that Little Big Town was recording that song. I knew I liked it. I knew it struck something in me, but for it to get, you know, make their record and then to go on and be a single at country radio, I was in so much awe. I mean, that was my first, that was my first go at country radio with them, and it just kind of blew my expectations for that song. Angelina has also had her fair share of writing hit songs, such as Miranda Lambert's song Fastest Girl in Town, which was in the top 50 of the all-genre Billboard Hot 100 and peaked at number three on the country airplay charts. Angelina mentioned how feeling like a song could go on to be a hit is more prevalent when writing with the artist who is going to record the song, whereas writing songs to pitch to another artist, as Haley has done with some of her songs, makes it harder to gauge how big the song will become. When Miranda and I were writing, it sort of felt that way because she was like, oh, this is so cool. This is, it reminds me of Kerosene or like, but like the, like at the, the, the sequel to Kerosene or, you know, she kept saying things like that so I could tell that she was really excited about it and I think that's that probably makes it a lot easier is when you're writing it with the artist there's a million times better chance that it's going to be a single but when I'm sitting in a room on music row with two people that you know are just kind of co-writing you never know you have no clue what any where any song is ever going to land if anybody's ever going to listen to it outside of the circle that you're sitting in and, and I'm not the kind of writer who will sit down and be like, let's write a single today. And if somebody says that to me, I'm like, hmm, I have a proctologist appointment <laughs> that I need to run to. Sorry. Because to me, I, that's not a, an art approach. That's sort yeah. of like a commercial. It's not my style. So I wish I'd be a lot richer woman if it were. <laughs> Haley and I talked about how she writes on her own, but a majority of songs have multiple writers on them. So I was interested to see 
how that process might be different when writing with another person in the room. Yeah, I mean, so I'm in the point now where I'm kind of writing with people that I've been writing with for a while, so it's been a minute since I had a co-write with a complete stranger, but, you know, in that, in that sort of situation, it could be your publishers just put you together, you show up uh, to write with this person that you've never met, and uh, I always say songwriting is like therapy, because I feel like for the first you know, half hour, hour, we're just talking and trying to get to know each other. You can have these really intimate relationships with each other and talking about, you know, these deep conversations and trying to find a common experience between yourselves. And that can start an idea um, or, you know, it's kind of going through your notebook and pulling out, throwing out ideas to each other and seeing which one seems to resonate the most. Um, I mean, it just, it kind of depends, you know, like the chemistry is huge in a co-write situation, um, and it just kind of ends up being a, you know, a little bit a magical thing if you can like really get on something and deliver a great song, and you know, other days you walk out feeling like it, it, did, it just didn't go well, you just didn't connect, you know? Many great songs are a result of a co-write, so I asked Haley who some of her favorite co-writers were, and it was clear that she's been able to form really strong and special relationships with some of country music's most accomplished songwriters, as well as learning from them to improve her own writing. I love writing with Lori McKenna. I mean, she's brilliant, you know, on her own, and just I admire everything she does, and she doesn't really need me in the room, but I do love writing with her because I just feel like, you know, there's a deep connection there, and I just feel like on a spiritual level, I, I absolutely love creating with her. I also really like writing with Nicole Gallion. She's a fellow Midwesterner, so, you know, I think that we speak the same language in a lot of ways. And I wrote with Tom Douglas this week. Also love writing with him. I mean, a Hall of Fame songwriter. It's just absolutely great, and it's cool to get to be kind of you know, the student in that situation, I find, you know, he's he's not doing it intentionally, but he's teaching and I learned so much from him in those sessions. So that's really cool. As I mentioned in my introduction, Angelina is not only a solo artist, but a member of the Grammy-nominated band The Pistol Annies with Miranda Lambert and Ashley Monroe. And just as Haley has been able to form intimate, meaningful relationships with her co-writers, the Pistolanis were formed from similar relationships developed over co-writing sessions with Angelina's bandmates. So Ashley and I met on Music Row as co-writers. Like she wrote for a publishing company that was good. Her publisher was good friends with my publisher. So we were hooked up to write together. And the day that we met, we just instantly clicked and wrote a beautiful song and so we started writing together on a regular basis and then Ashley was also friends with Miranda because they were both signed on Sony um, with record deals when they were really young like I think Ashley was like 17 um, so they met as label mates and hit it off and became really really good friends and then one night Ashley was Ashley Miranda had gone taken her airstream and had gone camping kind of like on a girl getaway riding whatever and Ashley was like have you ever heard this girl Angelina Presley and Miranda's like no so Ashley played her a bunch of my songs and Miranda just flipped out and was like who is this girl we have to know her let's call her right now <laughs> and so they called me and it was like one or two o'clock in the morning. I had a three-year-old kid. I was in the middle of a divorce. And they were like, what are you doing? We're, we want to start a girl band with you. And I was like, y'all are drunk. <laughs> Call me back tomorrow when you're making some sense. And well, they did call me back the next day and they had come home and it was, I think it was the CMA Awards were that, that next weekend. And Miranda was like, we're over here on the bus. Come on over. I've got some cold beer for you. And I was like, okay. So I go to her bus and her and Ashley are there. And they had already learned li Lemon Drop.
and they were like, play that Lemon Drop song. So I start playing it, and they had already learned all the harmonies. And by the time that song was over, we just knew that this was like something, some gift that we had been given. And ever since then, we've just really um, stayed true to it and kept it going. The Annies are a very tight-knit group, so I was curious to see how Angelina thought the songwriting process with Ashley and Miranda differed to writing on her own. We have such good chemistry is because we all, as different stylistically as we are, as far as performing and singing, we have very similar kind of writing, a very similar writing process. And we're all pretty fast writers. And so when I sit down to write with them, it's like I'm sitting down with two of me, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. We're just so in sync with each other. And at the same time, we all add, you know, because we all have our own flair. Mm-hmm. I'm like the hillbilly, Ashley's like the hippie, and Miranda's like the Texan. Mm-hmm. So we all have these different backgrounds, but I don't know. I'll say writing with them spoils writing with anybody else for uh-huh. me because it's so fun and easy. And there's usually a lot more alcohol involved. <laughs> Storytelling is at the core of country music lyricism, and country songwriters work hard to convey their stories in a relatable way that shows off the personality of the singer. This, on its own, is no easy task and could be considered even harder for a group like the Pistolanis where the personalities of three different artists must shine through in the lyrics while still maintaining a cohesive story that fits with the entire band. I asked Angelina how the trio is so successful at capturing the personas of each individual member. It kind of just happens on its own. I mean, sometimes if it's my idea and it's sort of personal to my story, then I'll be the one to sing it and vice versa. But then sometimes, you know, it's a story that would be really personal to Ashley and Miranda and I would sing it I mean it kind of just it kind of just materializes it's hard to explain because there's no deliberate okay you have to have this many parts and you need this many solos and you're the lead singer on the it's nothing like that at all it's totally organic everything about Annie's right from the beginning has been we always say that Jesus is our A&R guy because there is nothing contrived at all about Annie's. We met as a, on a fluke. There was no business person who hooked us up together and told us to start a like We, in fact, people didn't want us to start a band. We bucked against the system and fought for Annie's. So, and we did that because it really is a special little gift. for all three of us and it's an outlet for creativity that is so special because you know we have our own and then we do Annie's and it's something that's totally different but just as satisfying. One particular challenge to being in a supergroup with two other extremely talented artists who also have their own busy solo careers is finding a time and place to all write together. Angelina describes some of the places the group is able to write and how the group is seemingly able to get right back into the groove together, even after long times apart. With Annie's, it just depends. I mean, we have to go wherever we can go to meet up. I mean, because we all three have different schedules and husbands and babies and dogs. and So whenever we can find three or four days on the calendar, wherever it's easier for us to go to wherever the other ones are is what we do just so happens because of all the COVID-19 stuff we were able to like actually have a girl getaway uh, because all three nobody's working right now we just had a weekend in the Smokies and we wrote a few songs and it was really fun when we do it we literally just hang out we cook and we drink beer and we talk and then Somebody will pick up a guitar and start fiddling with it, and then the next thing you know, we have a song. But that that was a rare treat. But yeah, we go to Miranda's farm, we ride on the road, just depends. And the Annies don't even all have to be together to write songs together. 
their third album, Interstate Gospel, went on to be nominated at the 2020 Grammy Awards, and the writing for the album was actually started over a text message from Miranda with some lyrics to the song When I Was His Wife, which was featured on the album. He's funny as hell, hard as July, he's strong when I'm away, sweet when I cry, I'll always be the apple of his eye. I wondered how often the group writes over text from three different locations and how the satellite writing experience was for Angelina. It does not happen that often. Um, that particular song, we were so ready to write together. I mean, we had taken a really long break mm -hmm. to focus on our own thing. And it was just like backed up like a giant zit that needed to be popped so that song just kind of spilled out and it was like the dam broke and that record just came to life very shortly after but I was at a I was actually doing a show with Brandy Clark so I was backstage watching Brandy Clark Brandy Clark's show while we were writing that song so I was getting like double whammy watching an awesome artist, riding with awesome artists. That was a really cool moment for me. The Pistol Annies have been critically revered for all three of their albums, but got their first Grammy nomination as a group this year in the category of Best Country Album, alongside country legends like Tanya Tucker, Reba McIntyre, and Eric Church. This accomplishment, similar to Haley making her debut on the Grand Ole Opry, was a result of years and years of hard work and dedication. The Grammys are heralded as the most prestigious award within the music industry, and even being nominated is considered a major accomplishment. So I asked Angelina how she and the group felt about their recognition. It was amazing. We were totally shocked. We had no inkling that we would get nominated because, I mean, we're not really a wildly commercially successful band. So we're kind of like underdogs. So we were floored at, to even get the nomination to the point where Ramanda, that's what my little boy used to call Miranda, <laughs> to the point where she didn't even block it off in her schedule to go to the Grammys because we just didn't think we would get one. Anyway, so it wound up she didn't get to go. Ashley had a fall and yeah. broke her tailbone <laughs> like the week before. So I wound up going on my own. I took my son, my 12-year-old son with me, mm -hmm. and we just had a blast. It was so fun. It was such a cool experience for me and for him. And I love the Annies, but I almost wouldn't have had it <laughs> any other way. If anybody, that, like if there was anybody that I would want to beat us, Tanya Tucker would it be the exact choice that I would pick. <laughs> Country artists and country songwriters often write tons of songs, and as Haley mentioned earlier, Nashville is a very big songwriting town with lots of collaboration. Many artists will write songs not only for their own albums, but share their songs with other artists to record. I was interested in how an artist decides to cut a song for their own project or give it to another artist to record, and Haley had a very clear process for making the call. I can usually tell when something feels like my artist project. It's just, you know, does this feel like something I would say? Does this feel true to my experience? Does this fit the record I'm working on? If not, like, there's definitely songs that I write that get pitched to other artists. So I think it kind of just depends on the record I'm making and what, if it fits conceptually, then I usually hold on to it for myself. Similarly to wondering how Haley knows whether to keep a song for herself or give it away, I wanted to know if there was a way Angelina was able to tell if a certain song should be recorded with the Pistol Annies or if she should record it solo. Well, if the Annies are writing it together, it's usually an Annie song. There have been times when somebody, like Miranda, will say, that's fine, shotgun, I'm taking that one. And we're like, cool, great. When I write solo, I've had a few solo cuts on Annie's records and it would it'll it's just been moments like we're sitting around after a show or something and and playing you know 
everybody's just playing songs that they like or whatever and I'll play one and they'll be like oh my god what's that one play it again or vice versa so and I mean an Annie song kind of just makes itself known and we just know it's hard to even explain the decision-making process of solo versus pistol Annie's also extends well beyond individual songs as Angelina, as well as Miranda and Ashley, have to constantly decide how to balance their solo careers and their careers as the Pistol Annies. So I asked Angelina how she is able to decide where to devote her time over different endeavors. Okay, so for me, because I'm not the, you know, avid person who has to be on stage all the time, that's not really something that drives me. I take a little longer. I tend to be more in the mindset of I need to live and have some experience. I'm like Adele, <laughs> only minus the billions and billions of fans <laughs> and dollars. I like to take my time and, you know, collect experiences and let songs come to me naturally. I mean, right now I'm itching to put out a record. Like I've waited too long and I have a million ideas and know what I want it to be and just kind of biding my time trying to get through the tricky part of this new baby mm-hmm. and I'm re- going to be ready to roll so it's a little different Miranda she's like a machine she's like every every year and a half every two she puts out a record and she's just really driven to perform and be on stage Ashley's kind of somewhere in the middle Something crucial to the success of an artist is developing their own unique sound. Up-and-coming artists often experiment with different sounds, and Haley shared her experience with that process. Since the beginning, staying true to herself took priority over commercial success, and that decision has set Haley up to be a truly distinct artist in the country music scene. You know, again, kind of when I was coming up on that 10-year mark, I felt like I was trying to experiment with my sound and I was trying to make it quote unquote commercial. I really thought, you know, I'm gonna really chase this for a second and see if it gets me anywhere. And it was kind of, you know, I felt like it was kind of my last like attempt at trying to be commercial and see if it would work. And I was cutting songs with producers and I was really going there and it sounded like country radio, but it just didn't feel like being real to myself and so I scratched the project and then I just decided you know what I tried it and I realized it it, it wasn't me so I'm just gonna stick to what I know and stick to what I do and I'm gonna make another record and produce it and just really lay all the cards on the table and this is me and that's what I did and it's it's kind of funny because now I feel like it's getting you know, a lot of personal success. So it's kind of ironic now that the moment I kind of gave up on being commercial, whatever that means, that I kind of started getting, having a little bit of personal success. But, you know, I, I really do think you have to be who you are. Um, you have to believe in the song that you're singing um, or you're not really going to go that far. It's no secret the music industry is always changing. There are constantly new ways to access and consume music. In the country music industry, radio has always been a major component to success within the genre. But recently, independent artists who don't have a record deal at a label and aren't played on the radio have found a lot of success. Artists such as Brandi Carlisle and Jason Isbell have gathered major attention from the Grammys and become country music superstars, while Tyler Childers and Sturgill Simpson sold out an entire arena tour. I wanted to get Haley's perspective as an artist on how the country music industry is changing. The entire time I've come to Nashville, uh, ever since I got here, people were basically saying, like, it's over, go home, there's no more money, uh, the internet killed the music industry. So it's always been that way for me and kind of my crop of people who moved to town around the same time. But I think that in a way, We've had to be very innovative and creative in how we get our music to fans. And especially in country radio or in country music, radio is still very important and the main driver of record sales and stuff. 
But it is really interesting and really cool to see other genres now streaming becoming their primary source of record sales and stuff. And I think country is slowly starting to get there. But it's really cool because it puts the power back in the creator's hand, you know, in the artist's hand. Rather than the traditional label system where it's like you get signed and then you kind of, you know, are expected to cut these kinds of songs and whatnot. It's really cool because there's these independent artists that are being able to build careers. And although country's like the slowest to kind of move over into that streaming format, they are doing that now a little bit. And it, I mean, you see artists like the ones that you mentioned, and they're able to build very profitable careers from the, for themselves by doing what they do and uh, not really catering to any sort of industry demand. They're not tied to a label and radio, and I think that's really cool. But, you know, I do think still in the country format, radio is a pretty big driver in, you know, sales and stuff. Another interesting component to Angelina's career is touring as both a solo artist and a member of the Pistol Annies. The Pistol Annies have done a series of surprise shows over the years and had a set every night on Miranda's fall 2019 tour. Angelina told me about life on the road in both capacities, as well as what life is like as a new mom with a baby on the road. It's amazing. I mean, when we tour with, with Miranda and with Annies, it's a totally different story than when I tour as me. I mean, when I tour as me, I'm getting ready in broom closets and playing like little, you know, thousand person clubs. And it's just a very tough gig. Mm-hmm. There's nothing glamorous about it. And it's and not to say that I don't enjoy it because I do. I especially enjoy doing it over in the UK. I love going over there and touring just me and the guitar. But when I'm with Annie's, it's like hello rock star you know it's just the setup makes it a lot easier and we lucked out you know I've told Miranda a million times I can't thank you enough for this gift that you've given me where you have worked your butt off and you know gone against the grain and just like a train have mowed through the music business and somehow wound up on the radio in the midst of a time when women aren't on the radio and she's gained all these fans and she gets out there and works her butt off for 30 minutes and then Annie's comes out and it's like we're the freaking Beatles <laughs> like Miranda has done so much of the legwork that it's almost like I feel guilty every night going on stage um, and I try to thank her as much as I can, but it's such a unique thing. I just feel so grateful for. So yeah, doing it with Annie's, I feel like a rock star. Doing it with me, I feel like not a rock star. And then with Annie's, I can take my babies with me a lot. So this last tour, I, my baby was seven, seven months old, I think, when I started. And she was out with me the whole time. And I would literally have to come off stage and go and nurse her and then get back on stage for encore. You've heard how the country music industry is still very reliant on radio airplay to break songs and create successful careers. In recent years, however, especially as Angelina mentions during the bro country movement that dominated the 2010s, radio airplay women receive has decreased significantly. In fact, a recent study found that in 2000, songs by women accounted for 33% of airplay, whereas in 2018, songs by women accounted for only 11% of airplay, meaning roughly one out of every 10 songs played on the radio would be by a woman. And the issues extend beyond radio play. Festivals often have a vastly disproportionate number of female acts compared to male acts, and for the past few years, the category of Entertainer of the Year, the highest honor at the two country music award shows, the CMAs and the ACMs, have not included any women. While Haley and Angelina don't have any songs at radio themselves, I thought it was important to showcase this issue and get their takes on the situation. Well, yeah, it's bleak to the point where I don't even think about it or look at it anymore. When I got to town, it was probably a couple of years before the infamous Dixie Chicks moment happened. 
where kind of this the horrific terrible awful thing that happened to them ridiculous thing that happened to them and that was kind of like a turning point for women in country music and I, I'm not saying that 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 was the reason because there were other gears in motion at the same time and it sort of just all came to fruition slowly after that moment happened where women just started disappearing from the charts and the bro country movement started gaining momentum and really you know I had I was in my 20s and probably my most creative point in my life and it was sort of eaten up by this shift in the industry that started to box women out wrangled was sort of my breakup album with all of that with the whole mindset with the strife and the struggle but yeah it's terrible I don't know that it's changed at all it might even be worse and I don't have a solution I don't know what to do about it other than keep doing what I do keep supporting women keep you know company with good women smart women and eventually maybe things will change but I don't know I'm not gonna burn my bra and throw it at a radio station because that's not gonna make any difference I wrote, I mean, Wrangled is a protest album. I mean, I think it's a tastefully done sort of, you know, subliminal protest album, but it is a protest album. I mean, like Mama, I Tried. Mm -hmm. That's me going all over this town, feeling like, excuse my language, whoring myself out, trying to make things happen and just nothing happens. And it's not even that it's my fault. It's that the industry is broken. I think it's really sad. And for there to be a Reba or a Loretta Lynn or a Dolly Parton, there ha- women have to be allowed the grand, the biggest platform. And unfortunately, the biggest platform is still country music because that's where that's what fuels the touring industry and it sells tickets. And unfortunately, without that, it's really hard to get up to that top level and so we're not going to have another Reba we're not going to have another Loretta if something doesn't change Haley had a similar take and she was able to recall a real situation that demonstrated how flawed and biased the country music industry can be against women without explanation I think it was a few months ago there was a programmer who posted on Twitter that they're not allowed to play two females back to back and that's just so ridiculous like that's a real thing but obviously you know that's that's evidence that that is a real thing that's happening and I just saw an artist post today the top 20 or something and they were you know I think maybe five or six of the top 20 were female which is way better so that's a positive sign that maybe things are starting to change um still a long ways to go but you know I I feel pretty lucky in the way that I don't think I've faced a lot of gender discrimination that I know of um personally I obviously recognize that it's an issue just based on some of those radio statistics and I don't know what I don't know what it is about like I don't understand I don't if it is you know if it is true which based on some of the radio reports it appears that it is true like I don't understand to me when I'm listening for you know a great song a great song is just a great song whether it's a male singing it or a female so I don't I don't understand why it's become such an issue of you can't play them because they're a woman I just don't I don't understand that uh but I, you know, I hope that it's beginning to change, and I think that, you know, especially by ways of streaming and things like that, you know, it also gives the power to the fans. The fans can be deciding what they want to hear. So I think.
think that hopefully we will start to see some real numbers on what fans are wanting to hear and maybe that will influence radio. With that, I want to thank Haley and Angelina so much for speaking with me about their careers, their songwriting process, and the country music industry in today's world. Be sure you check out Haley's new album, The Dream, and Angelina's album, Wrangled, as well as her Grammy-nominated album with the Pistol Annie's, Interstate Gospel, wherever you listen to music. I also want to thank country singer-songwriter David Allen Bell for providing the background music used in this episode. That concludes today's episode of our podcast, Drop the Mic, Music Industry Conversations. Thank you to all of our guests for spending their time with us and sharing their insights. We also like to thank Tony Rodriguez for composing this season's theme music. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a review and hit subscribe, so that way we can get our podcast out to more listeners. Tune in next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern to hear from some of the industry's best managers who've worked with big-time artists like Jai Wolf, Cody Simpson, and Sandro Cavazza. You'll get to listen to exclusive interviews from artist managers John Allen, Jamie Stigliano, Ben Klein, and Carrick Stevens. We're the Stanford students that helped put this season together. To hear all our episodes, check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stay up to date with everything we're working on, including a playlist that features all our musical guests from Season 1 and our social media accounts where we post sneak peeks of what's to come, check out our website at dropthemiccast.com. This has been Drop the Mic. Thanks again for tuning in. We can't wait to share more with you next week.